a great day to flex your freedom. I'm your host, Barb Allen. Look, you've heard me talk about veterans organizations and veterans in general. You know it's a topic near and dear to me, as well as our active duty uh, military, the men and women who serve in our military today and will serve for generations to come. Back when I was in the military community, per se, when when my husband was in the National Guard and he was deployed and then killed um, in active on active duty, there were not very many organizations out there. There wasn't a whole lot of support for military families. That was back in 2005. Fortunately, there were a handful of astounding organizations and incredible people who step forward to help guide us lead the way, including Vietnam veterans. I talk about all the time how incredible they are. Uh, but now over the years, these years later, there's almost the opposite issue. There are so many organizations out there. There is a sea of organizations established that say and, and do support our veterans in different ways, which is wonderful. The issue can be now it can be overwhelming for veterans to navigate and for supporters to navigate. Some of these organizations are who they say they are and do amazing, incredible, courageous, impactful things for our veterans and our active duty troops. And some, not so much. Some are just you know, just sort of playing the game, right? Some have good hearts, but can't actually follow through on what they say. So when we find an organization, when we find a person who is rock solid, who does what they say they're going to do and more, who delivers and who has a tangible impact on the people that they serve. We love to scoop them up. We love to connect with them and network and feature them. And we love them to bring them to you, not only in case you're a veteran or somebody who can use these services, but if you're somebody that wants to support these services as well, or if you're somebody who's looking to figure out how you can take that thing you're passionate about and making a difference about and taking those steps to do more than think about it or dream about it. How do you turn that that desire, that wish into action and impact? So we're going to get into all of that today with our guest, Matthew JC, has traveled the world seven times that I know of on world tours with his band and his organization. Maybe I got that number wrong. We'll follow out. Operation Rock the Troops um, takes veterans and matches them with artists and uses music and that artistry as a tool, as a healing tool to bring bring these men and women together and help them heal and not even just heal, but plant a new seed into their life that they can use to carry forward into all aspects of their life. But that's a simplistic way of putting it because it is much deeper than that. He's got a movie out there on Amazon. He's got all sorts of stuff going on, all sorts of projects in the works, documentaries and stuff. So rather than me completely simplify it down, we're going to bring JC right on here and um, introduce him to you. And JC, why don't you tell us about your organization, let's start off there with what you do and give the fuller version of the of the dumbed down version I just gave. Uh, actually, I liked your version. <laughs> I feel okay. like I said it so many times over 20 years. It's like, oh, I've done that. So it's yeah. nice to hear from someone else because it sounds so repetitive every single time I say it that it just yeah. always sounds like ridiculous when I try to explain to people what we've done. Only for the one proud fact that I like to say is that we've been doing this since 2003. And, you know, you don't meet, uh, you are correct in your statement of there's a lot of charities out there. So how do we, you know, find our way through all of the noise and figure out who's real and who's not. So it's the one little, uh, if there's ever been a claim to fame, it's just the simple fact that we're still here after 20 years. Um, yeah. but for us, everything rock the troops started for us after nine 11. And, um, I knew I wanted to do something and what I could do at that time. I thought my weapon was music. 
So physically, literally called the Pentagon. Turns out there's a division called the Armed Force Entertainment. How do you just call the Pentagon? Is that what you looked up? Did you just like Google the number for the Pentagon or did you have a more specific? (laughs) The specific is, is that I knew being in the music world and I just came off of a reality show on Fox. um, So I had a lot of of eyeballs watching me. What reality show? Uh, I'm going to keep doing this to you. You can, you could punch me virtually if you want, but (laughs) this will discredit me right away. But no, (laughs) I was on paradise hotel. It was on Monday and Wednesday night on Fox at 8 PM. It was watched and longest running reality shows ever when reality shows started, but that's a, an embarrassingly different topic, but (laughs) (laughs) look, we all do things. We all, whatever. That's what you, it was, it was the best experience of my life. Yeah, I'm like, why be embarrassed about it? Just freaking own it. Yeah, I did that. I did that. <laughs> would you say it today? Reality shows sound like cringeworthy, especially if you're also a film director, like how I became. So when I say the word reality show, I just instantly, oh, you know. But, but if you then, didn't do that, if you didn't yeah. do that, like that seems like it, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, part of, it was part of your path. It held your spot and it pushed you to another direction. But we could. We'll, I'll, I'll, I'll say this: it was a precursor because I knew that they pitched yeah. me as the long-haired rocking guy. So I re-signed my contract with Fox that said anytime I played a song, because they let me bring my guitar on the show, that I would own all the publishing. So I found out that 15 seconds of my music on you know Fox at 8 p.m. on Monday was worth twenty five hundred dollars. 15 seconds. So it's Ooh. like, huh. I should be in music. <laughs> and <laughs> that's actually how I got into movies. But it was really when I was over there that I started writing like the first songs uh, for our military, because back in 2003, you know, I'll answer your question. Um, there were other bands that I was performing with. And there was this one band manager that told me about this division in the Pentagon called the Armed Forces Entertainment. And if you're familiar with on base, we have the MWRs on bases, the Moral Welfare Recreation Center. Well, what happens is is that whenever there's a need, let's just say in the Pacific bases or you're talking the Middle East bases, Europe bases, Caribbean bases, American bases, the MWRs put in a request to the Armed Force Entertainment saying we need a comedian. Uh, We have something coming up. It's the 4th of July. Um, We just came off of this high watch you know, we need to do something to lift morale, send us someone. And then they have a roster of comedians, musicians that will go overseas. Most people think it's still the USO, which the USO has nothing to do with the government. It's just one of the largest running 501c3s out there that people assume it's them. But UFC, WWE, Harlem Globetrotters, Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders, LA Laker Girls, any of that kind of variety is booked through the Armed Force Entertainment. So if you just even back in 2003, do a little Google kind of search, you would find out. I was lucky. I had a friend that had a direct phone number in, but the person that I called ended up retiring. But I was blessed that they gave me the phone number of someone who's never heard of me, never heard of my friend. And it took about, I would say, about a year and a half of phone calls and emails because it seemed like the whole world wanted to go on tour for our troops. Yeah. But so what I did is I went back to the drawing board because I can't take no for an answer. And I put out a compilation CD called Operation Rock the Troops, 36 tracks of the best, you know, uh, unsigned and signed bands from Texas that all raised their hand when they said, I'll travel overseas anytime. Because I found out that one of the issues that they were having at the time is they didn't have like this huge, deep list and roster of bands performing. So in Texas, we have this one thing uh, every March 
called South by Southwest in Austin, a big music festival and film festival. And they were always going there, the Armed Force Entertainment, looking for bands. And I was like, hi, I have 36 qualified bands on this CD. Let Take this CD. You can choose from them. And we'll go on tour and hand out 100,000 copies of these CDs. Now, back then, CDs actually mattered. Right. You know, we don't have <laughs> CDs anymore. And I found that out in a very funny story, but that's, you know, with one of the veterans later. But yeah. the point was, is that, you know, I finally got the call in 2006, three years later, and I was putting on shows in Dallas just to keep the hype up. Because if you're not seen, no one knows you. If you're not doing something, you become, you know, behind a closed door. So you got to keep pushing. But I got the phone call in 2006. Uh, I met with them at South by Southwest. And about seven minutes later, she looked at me. She goes like this. Okay, so you're not just a voice on the phone. You actually did the CD. You printed out 10,000 copies. What are you doing in 30 days? And I'm like, you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> and then she yeah. sent us on our first uh, Pacific Great. tour. We did 30 days to uh, Hawaii, Kwajalein, Marshall Islands, also the island of Roy. Uh, then off to Guam, then to Korea then to Japan and then back home. So we did That is so cool. 23 shows in 30 days. I mean, oh my they, gosh. that's insane. That's we went with back then since we were unsigned and no one knew who we were, we had to bring our own gear. So there were 8 of us and no, 7 of us and 93 pieces of luggage that we had to carry around 23 flights. Oh my God. On and off. And then when you, you, they pick you up in this tiny little van and you shove everything in and you're sitting like this, trying to get to the gig kind of thing, you then have to unload it, set it up, play for four hours, sign autographs, unload it or break it down, put it back in the van and hop to the next flight. It wasn't, it, don't get me wrong. What I was doing, was easy compared to what our troops were doing. So it was a no brainer to shut the F up and just do your job. And that's what we did. And long story short, we've now, you were right, we did seven world tours, 15 countries, 40 military bases, and over a thousand shows. That's so amazing. We did amazing. it. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what that means, but I, you know, and, and I know we talked previous, but you know, just to you know, fast forward the story it was in 2014 that we finally put our whole adventures and I interviewed and like every single you know, person that I could interview military wise. And I wanted to talk to them. What do they miss? What was going on in their lives? Why do they do this? What was going on? You know, questions you could ask naturally, nothing about the war, right. but specifically about who they were as a person. Why do they love music? And what we found out was that the military, when they were sending over these musicians was that they would have different groups coming in a week later or a week after. And I was like, I'm just curious, why do you just send us over there? Sometimes we'll be like in Korea for like 10 days on one tour and they booked us one show. And I'm like, what am I doing for the other nine days? This yeah. seems ridiculous to me. And I can't stand that. I can't keep my mouth shut, but sure as fire. I sat there and I was like, I'll play the other nine nights. Why am I sitting here not doing anything? But then I started to think to myself, <clears throat> excuse me, what could I offer more? So we started giving free music lessons. So some of the bases had family members. So, you know, and they have different like community centers for the kids. So I was like, well, I'll teach music to the kids during the day when parents are out there, you know, saving the world. And then when they get off duty, we'll sit in the MWR or whatever base we have. And I'll, we brought all of our instruments. So we just lined them up and we just sat there. And anybody that wanted to come in and jam with us, we would jam with them. 
And then it got to a point where it's like, if you came in early enough and you learned these songs, then on our big concert that they really booked us for, we were inviting all the veterans on stage with us to perform with us. There was no ego. It was just let music be music. And that's where we found out, or at least I started to discover when we would come back home and you're waiting for another tour because you never know when the Pentagon's going to call you. That just sounds ridiculous. But that literally was my life for over 10 years. It's like, are they calling today? (laughs) How about Mm -hmm. tomorrow? And because that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to live on the road. So we started doing more when we got home. So I tried to partner with like guitar centers, uh, you know, big music stores that they already had facilities that could do music lessons. And I was like, well, when no one's in your 10 by 10 box, let my guys come in and teach a lesson to these veterans or their family members for free. And a lot of companies didn't want to do it because there was no profit for them or there wasn't enough. You know, I only had our charity. I mean, the, our charity is run by me. You know, I've got an awesome board, but there is nobody else. So right. I don't have a bank account of more than $1,000 at any given time, maybe $3,000 if we're lucky because we spend it. So I couldn't pay my musicians to teach. I couldn't do all of this. So why would Guitar Center listen to me? I had no money. I had no resources to throw into this. I just had heart, my body, and my talent. So it got really, really, really frustrating. But around 2014, we launched our movie, our whole story. I made it into a documentary. It goes on Amazon Prime, uh, Hulu, Comcast, and 33 Million Homes. And then I learned the hard reality of making a movie is that after you spend all that time, all that money, (laughs) it turns out you still have to spend money to let people know that you made a movie. (laughs) Yes. And I was like, but wait a minute, I just signed with you. You took like 80% away from our charity so you can keep the money. And now I have to pay for everyone else to know that you're making money off of me about these guys over here and girls. I didn't understand the process, but I found out very shortly when you do something great and you put both your eyes on the prize and you stop, you know, worrying about what you're getting, magical things happen. But it was a magical thing in the wrong expense. Um... Somebody, you know, I'm not going to say the name particular, but he's only one of the greatest actors of all time. Um, when I say actors, I don't mean, well, I mean, he's a good actor, but everyone knows who this guy is. He's just a rock in the industry, you know, and um, obviously his name matches with ours, Rock the Troops. And sure as fire, he put out his own TV show claiming almost basically exactly what I've been doing for the last 16 years. Oh, amazing. So, Everything that I worked on all like, cause we tried, like our goal was always to make our healing program a network TV show because you said it in the beginning that, you know, in 2003, there weren't a lot of people doing a lot of stuff for veterans or if they were, or active duty, if they were, they were definitely mom and pops that came up because you're talking about probably the most patriotic time of our world after nine 11, where everyone yeah. for some reason was on one side. Wow. What right. a concept of all love our own country. But um, what was interesting about it was that, you know, when that person came in and took this this concept from us, I had eight full one-hour episodes ready to go. But I couldn't launch them anywhere because all the networks were like, well, he's a star and nobody knows you. So... Oh, that sucks. (laughs) 
everything so went away. Yeah. And it was literally, oh. it was everything. I, I like, we were doing it. You were we just there. Like you were, you were just there. Like you could see it. it was, you could smell it. Yeah. All, oh, yeah. It, it's, it, it's definitely funny that you say that because it, it is true. So, you know, um, you know, I'm not trying to say there were any like crazy legal battles or anything like that, but it was, it, there was a little vindication that, it was agreed upon that it was like, Hey, what you're doing, we checked your background. We checked everything about you. They, I mean, you're talking about one of the biggest networks in the world is like, who's this little dot on the spectrum and why is he calling us? And why do we have the intellectual property of Viacom calling this kid in Dallas? Right. And I was like, well, cause I've been doing it. And they tried to just dis not discredit me like in a negative way, but they tried to find out is my trademark legitimate? And it was they challenged you. Yeah, it was, it, you know, I, I always like saying I had $3,000 in my account and I went against one of the biggest networks in the world and, you know, heart loyalty and consistency, you know, beats money every single time. You just sometimes don't always see the victory. And most people never saw my victory and it wasn't a victory for me. To me, it was a victory for what, who we were doing it for. Right. But of course I can't tell anybody. So you shut your mouth, you dust yourself off. You get back up. I'm not going to lie. It took me about a year because it hurt. <laughs> it hurt real bad because you want to yeah. quit. You do. You just, you well, just. Uh, that's natural, right? You just poured your heart. Quit. You poured everything you have into this for years. You're so close to seeing it break through to that ledge where you can, your impact is going to increase. Everything you've worked for is going to be magnified. The vision you have is about to come true in big terms and then shoop, Choked it's, off. Just, it's like, Oh, I'll take that please. And, and then it's like, and then when your, your very purpose is threatened, right? You're at risk of losing that purpose or having to reinvent it, if you will, having to start over and yeah. watch somebody else walk away with the fruits of your labor and your name and your baby. They're, they're taking your baby out of your arms and raising it themselves, you know, against your will. So yeah, that's understandable was, that you would was, want to. The, the crazy thing at the time was that, you know, the, the way that we were surviving was that, you know, the Pentagon pays you very little per diem. And I was very lucky that the group that we would go, you know, sometimes we were in a group of like 16 plus people when we were touring because, you know, we were nicknamed, or I mean, which I still love to this day. It's the only little, it's not an ego piece, but it was like, you know, you got to be honest. Even when you're on these podcasts, I'm always honest. Like they called me Bob Hope 2.0 and that just, <laughs> it, it, it did. It made me smile. Cause it's like, you know, no one in the rest of the world will know me, but, but everyone great. remembers Bob Hope. But to be called that in the industry was nice because we started, like we, we followed Bob Hope's method and we brought over runway models. So we had runway models on our stage while we were playing this hard rock music and you know, what it was really doing was saving money for the Pentagon because now you don't have to send over that group. You can now, you know, remember the MWR puts in their requests, whether they want a comedian or music or a dance troupe or this or that. With us, they got both things and more activities in that short period of time. So it was, it was a really cool thing, but I realized the hardest part about traveling is I'm going with 17 people or 15 people or eight people. I was like, how do I do this where it's just, how do you know, you have to start thinking business-wise, what's the line budget and how do I make this simpler? So, you know, after the debacle of everything that happened, you know, and you try to recover, um, the only thing that I could think of now that I was back home and was I wanted to, you know, 
you, you, when you start to go from 2014 to 2016, you start to ha you hit that when it started to be notified that 22 per day suicide epidemic with our veterans, where in the beginning of 2003, we were going over there because we were in war. We all thought we were in war and everything we thought about what happened was why we were over there. And then there's this shift around 2010 to 12, where those guys and girls that were there from 2001 to 2009 are coming home. So now when they're coming home, we're starting to have the same kind of effect not as crazy, but in the same regard as Vietnam, well, who's taking care of these people and do we care about them? Yes, our opinion of war might have changed, but when they were there, the opinion was still the same. So why are we not taking care of them and why do they keep passing away? There is a reason. There's no more, oh, they have another symptom. They have another symptom. Let's give them a pill for that symptom. And then they need another pill and another pill and another pill. Next thing you know, these guys and girls have like, what, nine to 12 different medications they're taking every morning. They're not the same person. They'll mm -hmm. never be able to heal. And the thought that I had was, and it's, I'm embarrassed to even say this because it sounds ridiculous. I'm not military. I shouldn't have this thought. Someone else should have had this thought. But why am I logically thinking if we put them through a boot camp to strip them down, to become a war machine and get them ready for something that most of us don't want to do, right. can't do, wish we could do, we're not like them. They're built different and bless their hearts for being amazing. Well, when they come home, why are we not doing a reverse boot camp and getting them back to where they were? How do I handle life at home with kids and screaming? They don't have the same group of, you know, whatever their, their team was or their unit was that they trusted each and every individual to do their job. They come home and it's like, there's just chaos. The world is chaos. Who do I even trust? They're going hundred miles per hour to like stopped. So what do we do there? We have to plant a seed. We have to do something. And again, everything I cared about was music. The goal was always supposed to, and this sounds so in 2003, it was cool. Me saying it now, even though I'm in the film world, that's my real job. And what I really do to make sure that I have a roof over my head is like, I know that I'm not like grandma that would make beads and make like a nice wristband that has a story or something right. like that. Or some of these other organizations that were like gigantic and can do anything in the world because they had all of the money in the world. I still needed to do something. The only thing that I had of value was I understood music and I knew that I could teach it. But how do I make this into something? And with the idea of being a TV show, everyone's like, "You're so that's so egotistical." I'm like, "You don't get it. It's a tool, if man. I, it's a tool. Right. Yes. I, and we all know this is how we read. Or this is how we watch yes. content right now, like this. Right. This is where the whole world is. So yes. if I can't tell my story here, mm -hmm. then what story do I have? So. Who says, what kind of people were saying to you? Were these friends, family, were these colleagues, were these strangers online saying that that's egotistical? The number one problem you have when you yep. are a torn, I am a musician. Right. And everything that you saw on at that time, the change from MySpace, holy crap, God, it's been a MySpace. while. I remember MySpace that. to the <laughs> Facebook, uh, to yeah. Facebook, to Instagram and all the other crap things that we have now. You know, <clears throat> the only time you saw my picture there'd be me and all of these models around me. Well, I didn't say this. The Pentagon told me to do this. What? I'm right. just doing what I was told by my Pentagon to go do Bob Hope. But the way that people perceive things was that I was just this guy that had these girls. They didn't, 
because no one saw my movie in 2014 and then I had to stop production in 2016, all of a sudden here you are in 2018 and you would just get judged and judged and judged. And it's like, listen, man, what are you doing? Instead of telling me what I'm doing wrong, show me what you're going to do right. And by the way, just for fun and shits and giggles, show me how you're going to do it with zero budget, zero anything, and 100% of your heart. Valid points, valid point. And then you get crickets, right? And most of the people, most of the people coming at you on social media either have private accounts or their profile is like an anime or a cat or something. And they are literally not in any trenches doing anything. Yeah. It's easy. It's easy for people to sit back and do nothing and come up with all these reasons why they can't do it. Oh, it's easy for this guy. It's easy to look at you, Matthew JC. Oh, yeah, it's, it's easy to look at you and, and say, you can do this. You got the Pentagon paying for this. You got all these chicks running around. You're a rock star. You're living your life. Like I can't, I don't have no those resources, star. right? I don't have those resources. I could do the same thing he was doing if somebody gave me a chance. Like, but they don't see, yeah. A, they don't see the talent, the skill, the expertise. They don't see the year and a half you stalked the Pentagon. They don't Stop. see the the... <laughs> quote, you know, legal, not legal battle that you went through to maintain your right to to do what you're doing. They just see the two second Instagram posts of you with these chicks on there. They're bitter because they're they're bitter because the chicks are beautiful and they're so pa- carrying extra pounds themselves. And so they hate the chicks. They hate you. Right. They hate oh, their they, lives. You know, they hate everything. But everyone that hated me were the exact yeah. people that like, if you really cared about our veterans and our active right. duty, let me tell you, you should be like, thank you for doing what you're doing. They need that. And you don't really know that. Also, I'll say this. It's not until you go to the base. You know, like when we, I remember one of the bases they sent us to was in Kosovo. Okay. Most people don't even understand what Kosovo is, where it was and what war happened there and why we're there and why we have NATO there. Right. Okay. So when we go there, I don't know why, but I remember this group of models that came with us and for any of the models to do our shows, they had to do X amount of shows for free promo events for free. There was $0. No one was getting paid. There was no, you know what I mean? Like I had to find out that I could travel to you to a war torn country and get along. Mm-hmm. Now I know, and it was funny, like one of the girls always made the comment. She's like, I packed dresses. I packed heels. I packed this. And we show up to Camp Bonstell in Kosovo and it's just like rock, dirt. And we're staying in like these little tiny, I mean, barracks that if we can call them that, I mean, it was just like, and this isn't even the worst. This is actually four star. And, you know, you can just see the reaction of them when they went home and started telling the stories, you know, things that, that part was kind of cool to see their transition when you see it. That's why I knew if I put it on TV, you would understand. So my hope of always being on TV, again, kinds to, okay, so what do we do? Okay, people connect with their cell phones. People love music. I understand American Idol. I understand the voice. Okay, so what can we do? And I realized back to our, our, when we were over there traveling, was that the music lessons were great, but I would have to give someone a guitar if I left I can't leave them my guitar. Well, then that would cost more money because then you would have to ship guitar. Okay, so what else can I do? What else can I do? And that's when I came up with the songwriting healing camp. And that was very simply a lot of these organizations in 2010 to 16, 17, they would, you know, let's put these guys on a fishing trip. Let's put them on a hunting trip. Yeah, which people still do and which has value, has merit, has a- Mean value. Yeah. Again, you're putting them back. You're taking them out of whatever bubble they're in. 
You're putting them back usually with the group of other veterans. So they get that like-minded mindset. They're given a mission to go on a hunt legally, you know, to do all of this stuff and do everything (laughs) that they're supposed to do. And, and there's this sense and opportunity for them to speak up. But when they go home, the only thing they have are maybe the photos or, you know, of course they have bonding relationships, which is beautiful. But what could we do that was not one step above it, but just because I never want to say I'm one step above any organization. They're all needed. They're all beautiful. Everyone find your own gift and give back through that gift is always what I care about. But we came up with the songwriting healing camp, and that is very simple. It's a three-step process. Veterans come together. They sit down with me and we go through, I I don't like to call it a therapy session, but one thing that I've always gotten annoyed by, you know, when I've interviewed these veterans is like, Matt, I don't want to sit on a couch with some dude or girl sitting there with a notepad writing down my notes because instantly it triggers to me that there's something wrong with me. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that no one understands you. How can they possibly understand what you just saw and then coming home to it to live So we're going to take that away, but we still need to talk. So session one is everyone comes together and they have to answer a couple questions. You know, basically put, I have them answer what's their biggest struggle they faced when they came home. What did they have to do to try to overcome that? Did they fail or not fail? And what would they like to do to overcome it? Now, what I do is I, I, I give each of the veterans like a journal and I kind of like teach them how everyone journals differently. And it's not a diary, it's a journal, it's different. It's about what's happening in your present and where you wanna go in your future. So I have them write down what their struggles are on one page and what they wanna battle those struggles with and how they're gonna solve those. What they don't realize is they're starting to write the verse of the song and the chorus of the song. And of course, most of them- Yeah, that's yeah, really cool. When you when you have somebody instead of sitting down and saying, "Now we're gonna now we're gonna write your song," but in order to write your song, I have to have these blanks to fill in, right? And right. so when you do things in a natural way where people can get to that conclusion themselves, you're not telling them what to do. You're opening the door and allowing them to just they have to walk through the door. themselves, right? They yeah. have to walk like, through when it. You want to help someone? You're doing you, it in a non in a like non like threatening way. You know, you're not coming exactly like I've been there. I've been to the, not to, not to knock therapy. I know a lot of people get a lot of help from it. I know a lot of therapists are amazing and they care for me personally going to sit down at a therapist office and like waiting in the waiting office and the other clients come out and you, and you're like, there. like, I can't believe I'm there. And then you go sit down. Okay. We have 42 minutes now. And then you're talking, they're taking notes and you're like, finally opening up. Okay. Time's up time to go now. And I'll see you next week and go back. And I'm like, ah, like it didn't, it does for me personally. No, I, you know, that's a, that's a big, that's more anxiety. Yeah, it is and more anxiety. In their head, and then you're carrying, like she, they just me. open up all this stuff and then throw you back in your day. Um, and right. so, so the way that you guys do this and bringing people out of their environment to go sit down in this immersive experience that you have and be like unencumbered by, by the, oh my gosh, in two hours, I got to go pick the kids up. I can't believe I snapped at this person this morning. I got to go back and apologize. Then now I got to do this. I got to build, pay. like all of that is removed from them. And you're taking them into a space where they can just let that all go and channel right. all the things they need to channel. That's super, super cool that you do that. And so then they it's, it's, ultimately craft a song together and sometimes well, perform well, that's, it that's, on stage with you. So, so I got to clarify a couple things. So, I yeah. mean, 
because one, I'll just say it in general. So the first step is, you know, first you got to sit down in that therapeutic session, right? The second session, it they'll be partnered up with, and depending on which camps we do, I have a lot of different style camps because it always depends on what's gifted to me, like what the world gives right. me. And I'll explain that in a second. And so the second session, they sit down with me or a national artist, depending on who's on that tour. And uh, that's when you start to, you know, you ask them awesome questions of like, hey, what bands do you love? What style do you love? And in my head, because I've been doing this for so long, I can tell what chord structure, what style I've played so many. I can play, you know, God knows how many cover songs that I can play any kind of style or song to fit right. with whatever group they want. And then the third element of it is that they have to record the song live. And, you know, that seems so generic, like whether it's an open mic and it's a guitar and one microphone or it's a full band experience. They have to sing. They Well, they now what's nice is talk about sometimes, anxiety. Sometimes there's <laughs> sometimes they can sing or okay. play an instrument and sometimes okay. they can't. Right. But either way, they have to be on that stage. Okay. They've got to be next to that veteran or that, that okay. performer because the essence of this next one and all of my stuff is kind of like, I don't want to call it sleight of hand. You know what I mean? Where it's like, ha right. you're writing in a journal, but you're really writing a song. Right. But when you go on that stage, you're allowing the world listeners to hear your problems. There's something mm-hmm. scary about that. You know, whether you're performing it or not, you're still on stage. Everyone gets stage fright. But the moment that you throw music out to the world and the person listens to it, their reaction back to you is legitimately like when I take an Aleve pill and it helps my back pain. Right. But with music, when I take that Aleve pill, it doesn't help your back pain. But when we use music as healing, it helps me because I got it out. And then you listen to it. And now you're telling the other person holy crap, yeah. I understand. That's healing. That's healing when, you know, most people don't even understand and most charities, you know, it took a long time for them to understand this simple concept. You can't just heal the veteran. You have to heal the veteran and their family. Right. Because both of them are injured in a way that they lost time together and that connectivity. So we yeah. have to heal everyone together and people don't understand what the veteran's going through. So if I could put this process on TV, well, then you're talking about, holy crap, am I listening to a veteran open up? Oh my God, that's what they went through? I want to help them. I'm going through that. But maybe not in that same regard, but you're no longer alone. Right. No longer alone. The number one way we can help save a veteran, pick up a damn phone and call them. Yeah. How are you today? What are you up to? What's going on in your Anybody, really, anybody who is struggling with mental health and depression and and all of those issues that lead to so many people taking their lives, right? That's how we can do is just be present. That's what we say a lot too. When I speak with the people that I speak with, I'm like, they're like, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. I'm like, just show up. Like, you don't have to be perfect. Just show up a text. Hey, how's things? How you doing? Like, hold them accountable. How's things? You know, I had somebody text me yesterday, this person I adore, a lifetime friend who's achieved incredible things in his life, also struggling. So we bounce these things back and forth off each other. I text him, Hey, how's things? He said, I'm in a rough patch now. And I wasn't like, okay, well, what's going on? You want to talk about it? I'm like, you know, what are you doing to get out of that rough patch now? (laughs) 
you know, okay, great. What are you doing? So you acknowledge and you roll on, but you don't stay in the suck, right? You just go to other people if you want to stay in the suck. I like what you just said. Don't stay in the suck because if you dwell on that, you never get out of it. Just talk about the solution. So sometimes just something like that, just a simple little text. And he, he immediately texts me back. He's like, thank you so much. That's exactly what I needed today. And on he went to do his day. I'm like, that took 28 seconds of That's my, it. of my day. Right. And so and it doesn't have to be, a, and thank God, by the way, for the gazillions of people who've shown up in my life and done that in a whole host of different ways. A lot of those spent a lot more than 28 seconds doing that for me. Right. right. So, um, you could just show up for people and you guys are showing up in a classic, incredible, incredible way. So we'll definitely pull that, uh, Amazon, documentary out we'll put the we'll put the link on it actually i actually was on it just before this interview i was like breezing through it yeah um so i'll I'll be be honest with you from a filmmaker standpoint i i love our first movie but the pentagon literally squashed over 40 percent of the interviews and everything because i didn't know at the time well we were at a time of war if i can even say that you know 2000 three to 11 were the majority of my bigger tours. And I couldn't, I didn't realize that like, Hey Matt, you're showing the satellite in the back with this interview. You can't do that. Hey Matt, <laughs> you can't do this. Matt um, his name tag is right here. And you should be <laughs> on camera. So a lot of things, That's you know, great. I didn't know. So we had to make the movie. Uh, we had to try and make it more about like how I created the idea so that we right. could try to inspire people to do it. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned this. Um, I'm all, I don't, this sounds horrible, but I mean this in a good way. I'm not the greatest guitar player in the world. I can't sing better than anybody else. So why in God's name is the Pentagon putting over me? I always just hired better musicians than me. And that's how I was always gifted the ability to do it. But it, it you know, cause I always got to give credit to where credit's due. I called my band, the all-stars because these guys were literally, I would handpick them from national bands, signed bands, unsigned bands. I'm like, you're in my band, you're in my band, you're in my band. <laughs> because that's, that's awesome. you needed to surround yourself with amazing people. But I will say it was right before COVID, we finished four healing camps. We went to Dublin twice, one with an all-female veteran camp. And what those women struggle with is something we all should shut our mouths up and listen to because they need our attention and our help. Then we did a camp with a mixed group to Dublin. But the ones that I'm really excited about, not like I'm not excited about all of them, but it's just because literally I have a couple of the guys are in my other room over here still. We just finished our camps. We've partnered with a charity called Battle Dogs in Alaska. Um, And I want to give them props because Battle Dogs in Alaska is 650 acres of land up in Alaska where they cater towards combat veterans. And they set up this whole base area and the founder uh, and his wife, uh, I really hate that I forgot her ranking, but she's a really high ranking officer uh, up in, um, if I'm saying that correctly, I never want to say anybody's thing wrong, up in Fairbanks. And they love the military so much. I mean, she's obviously in it, but he was an Iditarod dog racer. So at their camp, Battle Dogs, they have 60, um, you know, Iditarod, you know, Husky dogs. And they what that they started off is that they would get these veterans to show up and learn how to help. And when he was doing the race, they would put all the veterans at different checkpoints That's to cool. help him do this race. That's he cool. realized that the fresh air of Alaska, the ability right. to just the silence 
but the camaraderie would give them the ultimate reset. And he heard about me when I was filming a Delta Force veteran in one of my other veteran movies, Operation Torrent. He knew that I was up around the Alaska uh, ways and, you know, word spread. And he's like, hey, what about doing one of those songwriting camps here in Alaska? So we're partnering up with them as probably one of our main bases that we do these camps. So the veterans, you know, this kind of connects the whole story. They usually do a seven day mission in Alaska. Let's call it a Sunday to a Sunday. So they have seven days to come together and go through those three step process up there. But whenever we do Alaska, the music that we write is so good that we add one extra step and we fly all the veterans back to Dallas. And then in two days, they have to go to a recording studio, professional recording studio and record that song live and That's then really film cool. a music video and now put, you know, visuals to the lyrics that they wrote in this new song we wrote. It's called the devil's bones. And it's literally talking about how you have to face your fear, the devil, and you have to break that devil down and take those bones and bury them so you can move forward. That is all of it. We love all of it. And that is why I knew it'd be great to get you on. It'd be great to get you on. Look, well, we're going to, you and I have been talking and you are on our our partner, Anthony Russo, has his own show, Blunt Force Discussion. And so you're on his show, I think this week, the episode is airing too. This weekend. Yeah. So um, he'll have you, he'll p- drop his episode, then we'll drop your episode. You'll get the double header with us, which I love is cool. And so, and we're going to talk about different things. I know, I know. It was much more fun at that show. And I wanted to take you down that track, but I couldn't take you off of, off of this one. Um, you know, so this was, this was good. It was good to get this foundational one out. I was just going to say, we got to have you back to get you into, um, some other areas as well, but it's important to get your story out, especially because our community probably doesn't know your story and who you are and all that. So the next time we have you back, they'll have this foundational and they'll know who you are and we can go, we can go send it into some other areas. Right. But, um, and we're going to talk about getting you to our Great American Summit, too. It's going to be June 2nd and 3rd in Dallas. And we'd love to have you guys and your veterans show up and be a part of it in some way. So we'll follow up on all of that. And then when we when we all figure that out, we'll have you back to talk about that as too. Matthew, where can people right now, our community, where can they hop online and find out more about you and what you do in your organization and follow you and support you? You're the you? best. Uh, it's, it's as simple as Operation Rock the Troops.org. Everything right. is better. Um, it's it's beautiful. We have a crowdfunding going on right now because uh, we did find out that our Dublin songwriting healing session we did right before COVID got picked up, and it, they're going to air three episodes on the Country Network, which reaches which reaches forty four million homes. On that doesn't I think, see that does not suck. You could stay, yeah, you could stay in that. That does not suck. But again, <laughs> remember the number one problem that you have, even though you make it on a network. I know I'm not a TV. Uh, station or anything like that. So I have zero dollars to market it. So I'm there. Right. I have a home, but I now have to educate people still to walk through the door and click right. play. So yeah. that's why we're going to raise money. One, to make sure that people know about it. That's why we're doing all the podcasts. And two, we're going to raise that money so we can keep doing these camps. Yeah. Because we know they work. Well, we're going to support you guys however we can because we love it. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for doing what you do. And yeah, stay tuned because now I got you and I'm going to I'm gonna stalk you a bit to get you back on and I'm in. different roads too. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. 